0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 6am on Wednesday, the 20th of July. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Wong
0: Xiaoning. Good morning, Malaysia. Is. And all those who are listening, because now, of course, you can listen to us on our website or our app. That's right. If you have not yet, do download the BFM app.
1: You can carry us with you wherever you go on the road. Just because we're not on your radio
0: waves doesn't mean you can't listen to us anytime you want. No borders don't mean anything anymore. Upset during COVID nineteen, unfortunately.
1: So we have a pretty packed show lined up for you this morning, as we always do. Beginning at seven fifteen, we'll discuss the latest amendments to the national. Forestry Act that was passed by Parliament on Monday. We'll have Meenakshi Raman, President of Sahabat Alam Malaysia, on the line to weigh in on these developments and whether the new laws actually do better protect our forests.
0: Yeah, very interesting conversation. I, I do want to listen to this, especially with the recent baling floods, right? Um, up next, of course, related to the environment team is actually, we'll be discussing the phenomenon of extreme heat waves across Europe and we've also seen that in China, we've seen that in Japan and how this links to climate change with uh, specialist Dr. Renard Sue. that's at 7.30. And we are seeing headlines overnight from
1: Europe. They're seeing record uh, temperatures in London, for example. 41 degrees. There's been like an incident reported because fires have been breaking out in suburbs around London.
0: Even so... in suburbs, because I heard about it in Portugal, in Spain, it was happening in France, and now in London. Yep. Yep, it's coming closer. Paris as well is
1: experiencing uh, temperatures of above 40 degrees Celsius. I mean, this is really something that's gripping Europe and we'll get more into this after the 7.30 a.m. News Bulletin. And then after that, at 7.45, we're going to review the latest trends in the fintech space with Vincent Fong, Editor-in-Chief of Fintech News Malaysia. They've just issued their latest fintech Malaysia report, so we're going to dive into that and discuss with him some of the findings that they've been observing over the
0: past year. Yeah, especially with the digital banks license uh, licenses being awarded, those five winners out of 29, whether that's really really going to radically change the fintech space. I'm also going to be curious about Islamic fintech and is Malaysia actually taking advantage of its natural home ground to grow this uh, industry?
1: We'll have all this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. That was T-Rex with hot love. Our producers nod to the various headlines on the heat waves in Europe. For the record, I did request glass animals by heat waves, but uh, we don't have that in our system, unfortunately. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio today with Wong Xiaoning. We're The Morning Run, 6.07 a.m. on Wednesday, the 20th of July. Now, the first uh, story on our docket this morning is about workplace friendships. Now, the COVID-19 pandemic has shown a spotlight on a key social phenomena, and that's really loneliness, especially among adults. So we've had limited social interactions over the past two years, and many of us, including myself, may be thinking about the friendship circles that we have and whether they're adequately fulfilling the emotional needs that we have. So this article we're looking at this morning, it's... um. It's related to that. It's a piece by Linda Grattan, a professor of management at the London Business School in the Financial Times. She believes that we should be working to nurture workplace
0: friendships. So, Xiaoming, walk us through this story. Okay, I love this story because I resonate with it. As you all know, I'm a big proponent of this whereby I do believe uh, some people don't. Some people like to keep professional boundaries very, very defined, very black and white. I, on the other hand, am a big fan of making friends at work. I think it makes a big difference to your career. It can also make a big difference to the atmosphere, a big difference to communication. I'm not saying that there are no downsides. There are some downsides. But I think for certain industries especially, it makes incredible sense. Okay, and that was Shazana having a bit of a coughing fit, probably shocked by what I said. Was it that scary, Shazana, that I want to be your friend? (laughs) And there she goes again, in
1: shock. I am just stunned by these revelations, Shaoning. <laughs> that you want to make friends with me. I'm kidding, of course. Apologies for that interruption. I
0: think you'll be hearing a little bit of that. I have a tickle in my cough. That's a tickle in your throat. Yeah, tickle yeah. in my throat. Exactly. Well, anyway, the, the point I, I like about this article is that when you overcomes when you become a friend, you do overcome certain awkwardness. And there is this sense of like you understand the person a little bit better psychology and psychologically, and then when you attempt to address certain issues, be it at work, maybe you have a bit more empathy and understanding how to deal with the person. So it's not so cut and dry. Now I know that certain professions they you know the the nature of the work is such that everything is very black and white, but I think in the uh, media industry, especially on the radio. <coughs> So, for example, like when we are here on air talking to each other, yes, we are doing our job, but there's also a reflection of our personality and the friendship that we share. So, it has to come across the airwaves. So, I think that's why, for me, I'm a big proponent of it. And I encourage it, right, among the team. I like a noisy morning run team. I mean, I'm thinking about adult friendships, right? And
1: just how different it is making friends as an adult versus making friends when you're a kid. It just seems so much easier to make friends when, when you're younger. You meet somebody at a playground. Oh, they're my friend. Mm. <laughs> you know, after a five-minute encounter, oh, they're my best friend. Um And it's a bit difficult, I suppose, to replicate those conditions in the adult world, and workplaces, I feel are the ideal place to foster friendships if we're looking at a particular formula um, that some psychologists have put forth it's really easier to foster friendships with people that you see often yes that
0: you you um, need time I mean that, to be fair. Friendships, growing friendships require effort and time. That's right. Uh, The closer you, uh, I guess, encounter them, that you see them daily,
1: for example, that you actually have interactions with them often, that all helps to foster just better relations with people. So I do think that... um, where you can you know if you can find friends in the workplace that does make work itself a more enjoyable yeah. uh, endeavor i think uh, one of the studies or one of the surveys that they've done is to ask whether do you have a good friend at work because if you do that actually shows that that person may actually stay in the job
0: longer because of that enjoyment yeah because yeah. of that uh, uh, social fulfillment that you get but I think it also has to come from a genuine place within you, right? So you're not just there to make friends with them because you think this is going to be better for your career. Let's let's be honest. There are some people who do that, uh, but it has to come from a place where you are sincerely wanting to know more about the next person. You also sincerely enjoy the other person's company. Um, and there, are, I think this Financial Times article is great because it gives you some tips in terms of how to rekindle those friendships because maybe you were friends uh, prior to COVID-19 and then now you're coming back to the office and you're thinking to yourself okay how how can i restart this conversation how can i break the barriers that were created through the what you know through zoom through microsoft teams through webex you know and it was just screen 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 email email emails and whatsapp but now it's face to face contact so i think the first thing is basically Just reach out, go for those lunches that you've always used to do. Talk about the stuff that used to make you laugh about the home, whether it was some stupid picture, some song that you listen to on on Spotify. I think it, it just takes somebody to make a bit of that effort and the awkwardness will just slowly dissipate.
1: So tell us what you think. Do you have good friends in the workplace? How do you foster adult relationships or adult friendships? Uh, you can WhatsApp us at 018 789 8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. It's 6.13 in the morning. We're heading to some messages. We'll come back with a discussion on expiry dates for food. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. That was the new radicals with you get what you give. I think that's exactly what happens when you uh, invest in friendships, you know. So the more you invest, hopefully the more that you get out of that relationship. 6.19 in the morning. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Shao Ning. This is The Morning Run, and we're taking you through the morning all the way up to 10 a.m. Now, our next story comes from Bloomberg. It's courtesy of Bloomberg. And the question that it's asking is how, well, the question that I'm asking as a result of this article is how important are expiry labels on food to you? So if you look at food, right, I mean, there's a range of terms that's used when it comes to labelling food. And when it expires, you see best before or use by or sell by. But how accurate are these labels in communicating whether food is safe to be consumed? So last week, Marks and Spencers announced that it was removing best before dates for more than 300 fruit and veg products in
0: a bid to reduce food waste. I think this is an excellent move. I think we should just honestly on some level um, use our common sense as to be our guide as to whether something should be thrown away. Uh, I wouldn't say, okay, I'm going to come out and say that food safety is critical, okay? And there's some things where really you should follow the expiry quite closely. So things like dairy, meat, because those things require a certain level of refrigeration. And if you don't actually keep them in a refrigerated place or they spoil and you eat them, the consequences are super, super dire, dire right? Diarrhea and dire, uh, literally. So I think, yes, that's something non negotiable. But there are other areas where I think they, they get a bit grey. And for me, so these, whether it's best before, use by, sell by, uh, suggestions otherwise. Now, just to clarify, best before technically means food is safe to eat after this date but may not be its best. Use by is food is not safe to eat after this date even if it smells okay. So okay. probably things like <laughs> milk and fish and yogurt, be careful about that. Sell by, an outdated term that is no longer suitable for use because that's only benefiting the retailers, Right. right. Um, So those are the three terms that we do see. So I think the one that you have to pay attention to very closely is used by. But best before, that's where our human kind of judgment comes into. And I I think I'm a big believer in the sniff test. I
1: think that's what um, British retailer Morrison's is trying to do. Earlier this year, it uh, removed sell-by dates from some of its branded milk. It used best before dates instead. And it's encouraging customers to decide whether to discard a product based on how it looks and smells. So using that sniff test, as Mm. you said. Um, so it really does uh, require the consumer not to just glug the milk down. But maybe, you know, open the
0: cap, take a look at it, pour a little bit out, you know, look at it first. And I mean, if it's like a yogurt thing, You I know would, it, you know, don't, don't like, take that. Just just don't go there, you know. there's some things in life where you just don't go there. And milk, bad milk is one of them, bad meat is another one, bad fish, you know, all these uh, items which need to be refrigerated. So to me, the reason why we are, you know, ...talking about this is because there just is so much food waste. And it's not just a UK problem, it's even a Malaysian problem. And so our Housing and Local Government Minister, Datuk Sri Rizal Marikan, he highlighted in April... That the households in Malaysia on average lose something like 210 ringgit per month or 2,600 a year in terms of food waste disposal costs. So we produce 38,000 of solid waste daily, and of that amount, 17,000 is food waste. And it's 24% of that is avoidable food waste. So clearly, we need to think carefully about what we buy in the first place and then what we throw away. Right. And I guess this comes both from the
1: grocery retailers as well as from the consumers at home, and a big part of it also revolves around being able to store the food adequately, knowing how to keep your food so that it stays fresher longer or that so that it stays uh, it maintains its quality for a longer amount of time as well. So I feel like in that sense some a certain form of education is also needed, right? Yeah, and these are things that um that I guess you're not, you're not uh, formally trained this, in this in any manner, really. It's something that you kind of uh, learn along, along the, the way. way yeah. But I, I guess it's things that perhaps we should start paying more attention to and start actively trying to learn in order to um, prevent or minimize the food waste that we have, especially as we talk about how food waste contributes to global uh, carbon emissions, which we're all trying to reduce at the moment.
0: And there are some very practical tips, uh, let's say some items, right, where really, yes, let's say a packet of biscuits. And it has, you know, the best before date is 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 long gone, but actually, these kind of items don't usually spoil, and maybe they're just a bit soft. All you have to do is reheat them in the oven. That's true. Yeah. Just simple tips like that. Yes, you can. You know, you it's not like why throw it away, right? So if your your oven is on for I mean, you're you're roasting a your chicken after that's done, just pop them in the oven. Five minutes later, they're good to go, and the same thing can be for like you know cereal that's gone soft. Uh, things that for me I never throw away. Okay, and i you know it's terrible, but I never throw away old coffee, old tea bags. I think they're still usable. When you say old tea bags, you don't mean used tea bags, no, right? No, no, no. It's just exp- I'm not okay. I'm not that cheap. Y'all know I'm cheap, but not that cheap. Okay, so I think just use your common sense, and then you you probably will add less to the landfill. Well, tell us what you think. You know, what do you do to minimize
1: food waste? And what do you make of the food expiry labels that uh, we see in the grocery stores? You can WhatsApp us at 18 789 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're coming up to 6.25 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. News Bulletin. We'll be back after that with a look at global headlines. Taking you to the news is The Killers with Human, BFM 89.9. That was Kate Bush with "Running Up That Hill." If you've been running up the hill this week, it's Wednesday, it's Hump Day. Hopefully, things will be a lot more smooth downhill sailing from here on out. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Wang Xiaoning. We're the morning run, 6:40 a.m. on Wednesday, the 20th of July. Now it's that time of morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. Um, I'll start off this morning with a look at Sri Lanka, which has been dominating the conversation on the morning run for the past few weeks. We also discussed uh, Sri Lanka's economy yesterday with Anushka uh, Vijay Singh, an economist based in Colombo. So we're looking at the political race in Sri Lanka. It's heating up the race for presidency. They are uh, scheduled to choose a new president today. It's her- turning into a three-way race where we have the acting uh, president, Raniel Vikramasinghe, as one of the candidates. But we also have another competitor, Dallas Alaha Peruma. I'm so sorry if I've butchered his name. But he's from the SLPP party. And the thing is, both of these men are closely linked to the Rajapaksa family. So even though Gotabaya Rajapaksa has left the office, it seems that um, people who, are, who he's affiliated with uh, still could retain control of government.
0: Are there any other alternatives?
1: That's the thing. So earlier this week, I spoke to a journalist from Colombo, uh, Faraz Shokatali. He mentioned Sajith Premadasa. He's the opposition leader. They were widely expecting him to mm. run, and, they, and he was seen as the least controversial uh, potential candidate. But he has actually uh, thrown his lot behind Alahaperuma.
0: So uh, you know, why is it in in Asia that we keep coming back to the same faces again and again? Why is it so hard for new people to kind of rise and take over a country and maybe lead it. I It's mean, what we're seeing
1: here in Malaysia. Exactly. It's what we,
0: we're seeing the Philippines with the Marcos yeah.
1: dynasty coming back to power. Um, interesting trends, that. Very curious. Uh, I'm sure it's the uh, topic
0: of much, of many a uh, scholarly work I mean, moving is, forward. Is this going to be acceptable to the Sri Lankans who, you know, basically look at the country you know, it's in a disarray. The economic situation is so dire and then you welcome back the people that basically were in power that, in one way or connected to those who are in power. That is the crucial question. So the president at the
1: moment is being chosen by the members of parliament and There seems to be a disconnect between what the public want and what the MPs are voting for and how this is going to play out. We don't know. It doesn't spell any end to the uncertainty Mm. in Sri Lanka in the short term for sure. We'll be keeping an eye on this story.
0: Yeah, okay. And another story that caught my eye actually is in China. Um, And that's over the housing issues that we've seen, right? So we've seen a lot of bond defaults there. But, you know, China is not Any different from like Malaysia or Singapore or even in US in the sense that for many of its citizens, the home that you buy is the biggest purchase that you're ever going to be making in your life, right? It is a huge percentage of your net wealth. And the Chinese, they've had enjoyed this, you know, 20, 30 years where property prices only went in one direction, upwards. But unfortunately, that's not the case anymore. So a lot of the middle class who have become middle class because of their property purchases are now basically not happy about the property situation. So apparently, according to Bloomberg, Chinese people are publicly revolting with rapidly escalating boycotts on mortgage payments spread across at least 301 projects in about ninety one cities. So these home owners accuse developers of failing to deliver apartments that they've already paid for. The value of these mortgages that have been affected have been swelled to an estimated 2 trillion yuan, which is about 300 billion US dollars. And I think this is the first time you really see Chinese people very unhappy with the communist government is in terms of how they're handling the property crisis. I mean, this has been that cannery in the coal mine for
1: for most of the past year, really. We've been seeing how Ch- China's property market has come dangerously to the brink, what with Evergrande, the Evergrande mm. property crisis. Ximao. We're seeing this spread. And now the fact that... Uh, the consumers themselves are revolting by not wanting to pay their mortgages. I mean, that's just another uh,
0: development in this very long property saga in China. Yeah. And then also in Singapore, we are, you know, Straits Times there is reporting that the Monetary Authority of Singapore is planning to broaden the scope of crypto rules to cover more activities because of the huge swings that we've seen in um, the cryptocurrency space. Now, Singapore is one of the first regulators that came out and, and somewhat encouraged the reg- the... the the growth of the cryptocurrency, uh, well, with crypto, how should I say, crypto industry. So you had funds set up there, um, and then I think what has happened now is that you know basically prices have corrected and they've come out to say, hey, this is not necessarily good for for retail investors. So they clamp down on things like advertisements but apparently now they're looking at more regulations so we'll be watching this space I think this is a very interesting thing to consider now very quickly also bad news if you're an equity investor because uh Financial Times notes that investors cut equity allocations to the lowest level since the Lehman's collapse in 20, in 2008. So it looks like it's a still risk off for markets at the moment.
1: Well, I'm sure we'll ask Jack Cousy about what he sees the outlook for equities are. Uh, 6.45 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. We're going to come back in just a bit with a look at local headlines from our newspapers and portals. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Little of Your Love by Haim. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6.50 in the morning on Wednesday, the 20th of July. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Xiaoning. Now we have a WhatsApp message from Stephen Ho, who commented on our earlier conversation on workplace friendships. And he said that he does make friends with his colleagues, but he does keep them at arm's length because he doesn't want to become the topic
0: of office gossip. And I have to say, office gossip is a thing. It's the best, though. (laughs) 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 That's how friendships grow. Okay, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Gossip feeds friendships perhaps in some occasions. But
1: uh, Stephen, I do think you're wise to maybe keep uh, some personal details to yourself. Uh, I think
0: privacy is something that we can all respect in the workplace for sure for sure uh but as usual we're turning our attention to the local headlines and uh, shall i start because of course please do um i'm looking at the straits times and this headline worries me you know it's it's extremely sad and worrying at the same time page four and it's b40 likely to become b60 that's how bad things are so government is addressing hardship through kluaga malaysia sales program inflation task force Uh, Yeah, great. But I don't think it's really going to resolve many of the underlying structural problems that the Malaysians actually feel, whether it's because the wages are too depressed. So inflation is a global phenomenon. We really, really can do very little, actually, because um, a lot of food items, a lot of food prices are global. So wheat prices, global. Milk prices, global. Uh, Even, Mm. let's say, uh, meat Global, you know, it's very hard to actually move that needle. What we do need to have is actually well paid jobs. And I think that's something government should address more in the medium and long term.
1: Right. Otherwise, These
0: you know, really the middle income that we have in Malaysia, we don't want to see that shrink. That's so critical to our economy. I think that is an important um, thing to note, the fact that this is going
1: to take some time to restructure the economy, essentially. It's not about flicking a switch and suddenly everyone's uh, protected from inflation. It's really about building the resilience of the different segments of society, the economic resilience. And that's not going to come overnight. I hope that
0: the government telegraphs that and also yeah. actually takes action to do that. Exactly. And at the same same time, looking at creating a really good social protection safety net for those who are truly vulnerable. So it has to have a multiple pro- a prong approach. Actually, when you look at the the critical issues facing our economy, now a bit of uh, news in terms of COVID nineteen. So if you haven't had your second booster shot, you are now eligible if you are between the age of fifty. To 59. So this is the sixth group to be allowed to receive their second booster dose. Uh, so if you want, go and get it because right. COVID cases have been on the rise.
1: You can find out where to get your booster doses on the Protect Health website. Uh, they do have clinics that you can look up within your area to see if they offer these booster doses. I think it's important to take this option if it's available to you. We are seeing a um, rising number of cases because of the BA5 variant. And uh, there are reports of people who've been reinfected it twice so far uh, or more or more times with COVID so I think uh, anything you can do to boost your immunity any more layers of protection that you can put in
0: place please do so COVID is not fun no not fun at all uh, meanwhile I've got some news uh, economic news as well so uh, our top Tokpa Has come out to say that development projects and twelve militia plan for twenty twenty two will be reviewed in line with guidelines issued by the Ministry of Finance. Uh, This is to optimize government spending and financing some of the additional subsidy related expenditure because we know we are really out. Uh, It was thirty one billion that was the number for budget twenty twenty two. The figure is coming at seventy seven point seven million. So the H does report yes there will be some shortfall made up by the additional revenue coming from. Petronas and also the taxes from oil but it's just going to be not enough so I think the government is looking at how they're going to save some money. Yesterday, we did speak to Sri Murniati of the Think Tank Ideas.
1: We were asking her to comment on the government austerity measures that were announced last week. And this was in relation to cost-cutting measures within the civil service and whether this is going to move the needle. She pointed out that really the biggest cost from civil service is emoluments um, and you know
0: pensions. And nothing's being done to, uh, to change that at the moment. It's very hard to change that. So the idea is to really look at how you can increase government revenue But government revenue, unfortunately, very connected to taxation. And that requires political will. And as we know, elections are coming up. So let's see which Prime Minister is going to be brave enough to say we really need to reform that. So like I said, the additional 20 billion oil and tax revenue insufficient to cover the 40 billion surge in subsidies. This was also reported in the HCO morning brief.
1: Very quickly, uh, something that the federal court is going to be looking at, uh, a case is going to be brought before them uh, regarding the corruption probe by the MACC into Justice Muhammad Nazlan. If you remember, this happened earlier this year, and it really caused an outcry about uh, the state of the judiciary, whether they're allowed to be independent. So the federal court will be looking at a case to discuss constitutional issues in this Uh, development. Uh, I think that's something we should be keeping an eye on moving forward. We're coming up to 6.56 in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin. And then after that, we'll take a look at how global markets closed overnight. Taking you to the news is The Kinks with This Time Tomorrow. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.